Deep left into the bleachers. A two-run homer. A swing and a miss. Ball game. Liftoff. And history marches on. 22 consecutive wins. From the sports desk of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com, this is Leading Off with Ryan Lewis, a podcast on Cleveland baseball. Santana makes the catch. Ball game. The Indians have won the American League pennant. The Cleveland Indians are going to the World Series. Now, Ryan Lewis and Ashley Fastar. Welcome to Leading Off, a podcast on Cleveland baseball. I'm Ashley Bastock, here with our beat writer at the Akron Beacon Journal, Ryan Lewis. And Ryan, news keeps breaking immediately after we record the last couple of weeks. And the last two weeks now, we've had some breaking news right before we hit record and jump on teams here. Uh, so let's let's start with that, the news today, Thursday, August 5th. Uh, the soon-to-be Guardians and the city of Cleveland extended the lease with the team in progressive field through at least 2036. Yeah, our timing seems to just be perfect. But, hey, congrats. Uh, we've extended the lease on this podcast through at least 2036 now. So we are, we are here to stay. Um, so, yeah, they announced um, pretty much, you know, relatively as expected. Um, you know, once once the team name was announced, it wasn't a done deal, but – effectively a foregone, a foregone conclusion that was trending in the right direction that uh, the lease would be extended. Um, so uh, Cleveland will remain after progressive field through at least 2036. That includes um, two additional add-ons, almost like a club option uh, of five years each that the, the county and local entities um, can elect to put into play. Um, so in reality, it's, it's essentially a, a 25 year, you know, a very likely a 25 year lease, um, but guaranteed to be 15 years that Cleveland will remain, will remain at progressive field. It includes 435 million. I have all these numbers flying through my head now. Yeah. 435 million, uh, will go toward renovations, improvements, maintenance and repairs for progressive field, but it was stressed that um, taxes will not be increased um, or added uh, for the local residents. And you can find a more detailed breakdown of the money, where it's coming from, expected plans, comments from Paul Dolan, Governor DeWine, and Mayor Frank Jackson online. Um, so that's just happened, um, but, but that's all up there and in, in a little more detail with how the money breaks down. Said, and they're, you know, they're set. They'll be here till at least 2036 and likely 2046. It was crazy reading your story to realize that Progressive Field is now the 11th oldest ballpark in the league. Like I, I had no idea the, like the rankings and where where it fell in that, but uh, definitely super interesting. Yeah, and there have been there have been stadiums that have not just been renovated, uh, but rebuilt, or or a franchise has had a new stadium built within that you know 27 year time frame. So it you know Progressive Field is certainly not even close to even just like the second or third tier of all the stadiums, obviously when we talk about like, you know, Wrigley or Fenway, um, you know, they're not even close to uh, really the second or third tier below those stadiums. But, you know, it, it's, it's now one of the older stadiums in baseball just because of the recent trend of how quickly franchises have, have been rebuilding or building completely anew. Um, so that's, you know, I'm, that's really been the trend across, you know, sports for the most part. Um, but, you know, this will, it'll keep Cleveland here. Um, and and it'll include a, a number of planned renovations, which 
do include right field, which is often the most talked about um, uh, <laughs> area of need, I guess you could say. Um, and, and Paul Dolan did mention a, a dugout level social suite uh, and some, some expansion there, some renovations to um, some things in, in left field as well. But, you know, right field's kind of been the, the focus and that should be in the plans in, in some form. So we'll, you know, we'll wait on, on some more details on what exactly is planned there and maybe get some mock-ups of, of how that's supposed to look when it's all done. Well, let's move to on the field and what I thought would be our biggest topic of discussion <laughs> before this morning. Uh, Cleveland made four deals pri- prior to last Friday afternoon's trade deadline. So in all, Cleveland sent away second baseman Cesar Hernandez, which if you listen last week, we, went into some more detail on that. They sent away Eddie Rosario, Jordan Luplo, Phil Maton, and DJ Johnson, catching prospect Yanner Diaz, and cash considerations. Cleveland received center fielder Miles Straw, left-handed pitching prospect Connor Pilkington, right-handed pitching prospect Peyton Battenfield, and infielder Pablo Sandoval. And the Pablo Sandoval era in Cleveland was over as soon as it began because he was quickly released and I don't know about you I had multiple people texting me who said they didn't even realize he was still playing so that was that um Cleveland's front office and you wrote about this viewed the 2021 trade deadline as a chance to acquire a controllable center fielder they have been trying to get for some time a chance to free up playing time for a group of young outfielders because they need some answers there and a chance to reallocate some shorter term control into long-term value, which we again talked about in detail last week. That's kind of been their hallmark the last few years um, and to alleviate some upcoming rule five draft issues. So given all that, Ryan, I know you wrote a lot about this last week. Just what's your analysis of, of how this deadline went? Yeah. And that, that last main part concerning the reallocation or the conversion of short-term control and the long-term value, you know, whenever you're looking at how this team has operated and and will continue to operate um, to a large extent, that's kind of the main thing to keep in mind and that that's often the number one goal. It just as they continue to operate and move forward, as they continue to try to push out this contention window and um, to a large extent, as they continue to set themselves up not just for 2021, but for 2022. Um, so you had Cesar Hernandez, who uh, has had a $6 million club option for next season. Um, you had Eddie Rosario, who can be a free agent in two months. You had Jordan Luplo and Phil Maton, who are getting into their arbitration years. You know, you have guys who, especially compared to the rest of the roster, were under shorter-term control. Um, you know, this is an organization and a 40-man roster um, that – uh, just has um, a truckload of long-term control in it already. Um, and, and that's, you know, one of the absolute crucial aspects that Cleveland uh, has been and will be looking for as they make moves. Um, you know, you mentioned Miles Straw, uh, a big, you know, piece to his value is that he's under club control through 2025. Center field has been just a nightmare over the last four or five years for Cleveland to try to solve. Uh, the list of names of guys who have been there, is very lengthy. Uh, Jason Kipnis play, has played some of the biggest games uh, um, of Cleveland baseball over the last five or six years at center. You know, he was the guy kind of man in that position at times in some big moments. So get, being able to get Miles Straw, who does, will not hit for power, he did hit a home run almost immediately, uh, but that is not his MO. Uh, he's the opposite of Fernando Reyes. 
he's speed and he's, uh, you know, superb defense in center field, which the other night likely, you know, effectively won them a game um, and at least extended the game enough for the offense to, uh, 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 to find enough punch to, you know, to, to beat Toronto two or three nights ago. Um, so that, that was a, a big get for them, but you know, his, his, one of the main pieces to that is that he's under club control through 2025 and can, can be a long-term piece. And, and we talked about that with the trade deadline and that if they were to make a bigger move, it, it would likely be for somebody, um, to where it's, it's a buy move in a way. Um, but it's really, it's also a long-term move. Um, so that's a, a huge thing. And we've also, you know, I think mentioned the, the rule five draft issue that's coming up where they're going to have a lot of guys who are rule five draft eligible. Um, but you only have 40 spots. Um, and so there's, there are a lot of guys who, you know, gained a year, um, you know, of that time last year, even though some guys were at the alternate site the entire year, other guys weren't even at the alternate site, but they still gained that year. Um, so there's a little bit of a log jam. So there, there could be some smaller moves, um, of, you know, Cleveland trading a, a prospect who might be, uh, you know, rule five draft eligible, but eligible, but another team may have a spot, uh, that they don't mind taking him on. Uh, Cleveland's been on the other side of that before in some trades, um, and was able to, you know, take advantage of that to, to a certain extent. Um, so it was a couple of goals wrapped into, you know, a, a four trade package, uh, where they effectively converted several of the shorter term players on the roster, um, into some longer term control. And Brian Shaw's, you know, in a way, the, the last guy standing that, that made it through, um, who can be a free agent at the end of the year. And, you know, obviously, like I said up top, we went into a lot of detail last week with the Cesar Hernandez trade because at the time we recorded, that was the only trade that had happened yet. Um, and obviously we talked at the time about the added element of trading him to a team in the division. Um, so what did, I know this was a topic of discussion, what did Chris Antonetti have to say about, you know, whether or not they were quote unquote raising the white flag on the season by trading him to the White Sox? Yeah, so Chris Antonetti's reaction to that was, you know, that he certainly hoped that that is not the case, but also that, you know, the team had to take a a realistic approach to to where they stood. You know, Shane Bieber and Aaron Savali are still a few weeks away, and at, at this point, like they're nearing the point where if things go a little south in the standings, or even if they don't, they're nearing the point where it it may not be entirely worth it to to try to get Shane ba- Shane Bieber back for a start or two um before the end of the season instead of allowing him to to rest and and kind of shutting him down and um again that's that's just conjecture and just looking at where the season is uh how many games are left what's kind of realistic with where he is um in in his own rehab and Aaron Savali is a few steps ahead but he still you know will, will need uh, a considerable amount of time as well so considering that you know, Cleveland is in a, a, a troubling spot. I think Fangraphs has their, uh, projected playoff odds at like 1.5% or, or something like that. You know, at the time of the deadline, I think they were five and a half games out of a wild card spot. Um, but certainly among that group, at least on paper, um, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that Cleveland was probably, um, you know, at, at the bottom of that list, uh, especially with the Yankees adding, you know, the, the, the bats that they did. So, it, it was a realistic look at, at where they were. And also though, you know, trading Cesar Hernandez, he had a 100 WRC plus, which for what they signed him for, that's a pretty nice return. You know, he just, he was brought in to stabilize the position on a short term basis. And he did that, especially last year. Um, 
But with a 100 WRC plus, you know, th- that is exactly league average. Um, and Antonetti noted that they felt that if they don't trade Cesar Hernandez to Chicago, which is a, a strange move to see at first um, for a team to trade a veteran major leaguer to, to the other team that they're chasing. But, um, you know, it, he was hitting at a league average pace, and Cleveland felt, as Antonetti said, that if they don't trade Cesar Hernandez, he's not the only second baseman on the market. Uh, Chicago was going to fill that need uh, in some way, probably at a very similar level. Um, so I, I, I think they effectively figured, well, why shouldn't we be the ones to benefit from it? Um, so the answer is no. Antonetti did also note that, you know, this season was about trying to rely on, on younger players and having to rely on youth, um, having to build some growth and development into the season. And that the trading of Cesar Hernandez, the trading of Eddie Rosario, who is a, a talented hitter, but hasn't quite come around this season. He had maybe some flashes where it looked like he was starting to heat up and, and then he uh, kind of cooled off and that just never really materialized like the team had hoped. He's also out for a few more weeks. So what they traded, you know, I don't think could be considered, uh, you know, instrumental in, into what they're doing, um, even on a short-term basis. And and they saw the chance to to add some long-term value, and they did it. So, you know, Antonetti's basic reaction was, no, we, we hope that this isn't raising the white flag. It's just a, a realistic approach to where they were. And the fact that they were already relying on on youth and and um, and, and and some development, and that they want to figure out what they may what they might have in Oscar Mercado and Bradley Zimmer, uh, who will prim- primarily be playing the corners, and they want to give these younger guys um, some more at bats and um, saw the chance to to convert some of their shorter term control into some things, and 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 they took those chances. And at the end of the day, I mean, what what Cleveland did with with these deals and yeah, I mean, it was a handful of deals that they made, but it it wasn't like what the Cubs did or the Nationals where it's, you know, trading star after star and guys who have been staples uh, on these teams and in these clubs for years now. Right. Had Cleveland traded Jose Ramirez, which is the big one, and some other key guys for like absolute prospects who are not major league ready. That would have been a completely different scenario. Um, you know, Cleveland in 2021 was sort of, you know, it always had the possibility of, of going somewhere along these lines, you know, this season as, a, as a very, very young team already. Um, and then you, you had the injuries on top of that. And, you know, it just became such an extreme situation, you know, as, as we've touched on, but this was such a young team from the get-go, from opening day, that a lot of what they've done has been geared toward, you know, long-term value, long-term contention. Um, and the way that the season went, I, I think they, they took the chance to convert whatever they could into, into some long-term value while they still could. And, you know, especially, and again, to go back to Cesar Hernandez, um, you know, as Antonetti noted, and as we've kind of talked about, um, there's such... Cleveland is so flush with middle infield prospects up and down the system. There, there's so much talent up the middle that they wanted the opportunity to promote some guys. And Owen Miller got that call. And uh, that was in part because Andreas Jimenez uh, basically couldn't get the call because he's going through the process of uh, establishing permanent residency in the United States. And you can't leave the country for a certain part of that process. So with Cleveland going to Toronto, 
over the past week, he wouldn't have been able to join the team anyway. But you still have Andreas Jimenez, uh, who was a crucial part to the Francisco Lindor trade at AAA, on top of maybe the team wanting to figure out what they might have with Owen Miller, or at least not that, you know, a few months would dictate his long-term, you know, outlook, but, uh, you know, the team trying to get a better idea uh, you know, of, of, of what he might be able to bring at the major league level after a, a, a tough, um, you know, first, uh, you know, stretch in, in the majors. And then he was sent down for about a month, but, you know, there's, there's so many kind of moving pieces where, um, you know, again, we mentioned the 40 man roster that Cleveland wants to figure out what they have and kind of use this two months to, to try to compete. You know, if Cleveland can go on a roll, if they can get Savali back, uh, relatively quickly, you know, Cleveland is certainly not completely out of it. Um, they're, I, I think it's fair to say that they're on the fringe of contention. Uh, right now, the, the odds are probably relatively low that there will be October baseball, but, uh, they're certainly not out of it yet. Um, they're relying on a lot of the same younger pieces that they have all season. Um, the idea was just to also take a long-term view in mind and kind of balance those ideas at the same time as they have for several years. Well, let's move on to the other big piece of news that happened again after we recorded last week. Um, Terry Francona in a joint Zoom session with Chris Antonetti announced last Thursday night that he will step down for the remainder of the season to focus on his health. Uh, Francona's battled numerous health ailments, particularly over the last few years, like you wrote about. He has upcoming hip and toe procedures. He missed all but 12 games of the 2020 season, dealing with some blood clotting issues that led to several surgeries and some time in the ICU, uh, which followed a GI issue he had last spring. So just more details on this. What what was said in that press conference, too, specifically? I think one of the things that stood out was Antonetti saying that he was in awe of Terry Francona and how far into the season he was able to make it. Um, you know, Francona, he's just, he's dealt with so much over the last few years. He's kind of, he's grinded through a lot to be in the dugout as much as he's been able to be. You know, last year, um, you know, as, as you just mentioned, became a, a, a pretty severe situation that he had to miss as much as he did this year. You know, he said that he just, he really, wanted to try to manage the season and it just got to the point where it, it really wasn't, you know, viable anymore. Um, he needs two procedures. Um, there's going to be some lengthy rehab. There's going to be some difficult rehab. Um, he, he also got sick, uh, a, a few weeks ago. I mean, it's just a lot of things have, have kind of built up to where he's, he's been pr- pretty uncomfortable for a while. It seems, um, but, Chris Antonetti multiple times noted that, you know, it's been pretty amazed or amazing um, that Francona was able to manage as long as he has and kind of grind through as much as he has to be in the dugout as often as he could be. But it it reached a point where it just wasn't going to happen. So for the time being, bench coach DeMarlo Hale is the acting manager and, uh, and they chose DeMarlo Hale um, because as the bench coach, that is the most seamless transition Last year it was Sandy Alomar Jr. in part because Brad Mills was home with his family, um, you know, during COVID and, uh, you know, the Mills family had, had, had dealt with a lot, um, you know, last year and last spring. Um, so DeMarlo Hale is the acting manager. Um, and f- for the time being the, you know, the team's hope is that, uh, Francona will be back for the 2022 season. Um, an interesting thing with, uh, Elias Sports is that for, for right now, all of the wins and losses are effectively being put into escrow in terms of 
what manager they'll be assigned to. If if Francona returns next year, they will go toward his total. And if he if Francona does not return, um, they will go toward DeMarlo Hale's total as the acting manager. So that's a lot of things are still up in the air as, you know, and Francona went underwent the first surgery, um, the hip procedure uh, a few days ago. By what we've heard, it, it went well, and there will be um, a several-week rehab before he can undergo the second procedure, which then requires, I, I think he mentioned, a, a 10-week rehab after the second one. Um, that's pretty, like, no weight on the foot or anything like that. Um, so that's that one's a little a little more intensive. But he's got a road ahead of him, uh, and he's, he's grinded through a lot. And, you know, the team will just have to, you know, the team has supported him, and we'll just have to wait to see, you know, where they stand next spring. Yeah, I mean, I know kind of just more in detail because I know Tito talked about this at that press conference, I think. But obviously the biggest question on social media is whether he'll be back next season and speculation uh, in that regard. And obviously there's no answer to that right now. But what what did he say about some of those questions and about his future in regards to all this? You know, he sort of mentioned that it's not it, it's partially about getting to a point where he can enjoy his job and do his job without, you know, all of this in the back of his mind or really in in the forefront of his mind um, being in that much, you know, pain and, and discomfort all the time. Um, you know, it's partially about being able to do this job every day because um, this is an extremely time-intensive job for, you know, the better part of the year. Um, and so it's it's partially about having to be able to get back to that point to be able to do this job like he wants to do. And he mentioned that the thought crossed his mind at one point of whether he was doing the team any benefit by staying because he was so in such discomfort um, by it that he, he started to wonder if this was even the right thing for the team to keep managing. So his, you know, his point is that he just wants to get back to this. I, I believe the expectation is that he will return next spring. Um, but for right now that, you know, the, the first step, as as he noted and as Antonetti noted, the first step is just him simply getting healthy and then kind of figuring out where things stand and and how to move on from there. All right. Well, looking ahead here to the next week or so, um, we have one one more game for them against the Blue Jays tonight. Again, Thursday, August 5th, there is a three game series against the Tigers this weekend. On Monday, there is a makeup game against the Reds. And then following that up with a three-game series against the A's, and all of that is at home. Um, so before we go, though, Ryan, um, I don't know if you are like me, but I am obsessed with the Olympics. I get super, super into it um, every every four years. <laughs> I, I, I will say I am one of those people that I get more into the Summer Olympics by far than the Winter Olympics. Um, I don't know what it is. I think I just... For whatever reason, I am able to devote more time to watching everything in the summer. And I find myself watching, you know, the canoe slalom at like 1 p.m. on a, on a Tuesday while I'm doing my work. It's on in the background. Um, so the, the Olympics are winding to a close in Tokyo. The final day is Sunday. So I guess let's start with how, how much have you been paying attention to, to these Olympics in Tokyo? A lot because I'm the exact same way. We have like on our uh, DVR, like the, we have like eight recordings that are just different Olympic events. Um, I I recorded the Olympic golf today. It's, it was a nine hour recording, and it's right. Took just a, download the app and watch the highlights. 
Well, we, we've just been flipping through, but, um, yeah, I'm that way with, I'm not the biggest soccer fan in, yeah. in general, but for the World Cup and the Olympics, I, I go nuts and I get crazy into it. Um, th- it was a little difficult this time around because a lot of the women's national teams matches were at like four in the yeah. night, which was difficult. Yeah, they were really early. Um, but yeah, the Olympics are, are, are kind of fantastic. And I, I like, I, I do like winter quite a bit because, I don't know why, but like speed skating with Apollo Anton Ono, that like I was all about that when, uh, especially when he was in it, and also curling is maybe the best sport in the world. But the Summer Olympics with the gymnastics, the swimming, the soccer, it's 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 tremendous. I'm I'm the exact same way though. I get like crazy, like patriotic and into it, and I'm rooting for people that you you know I, I never heard of two weeks ago. Yep. And, uh, yep. that's, which is kind of the great thing about the Olympics. Exactly. Not, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say the swimming and gymnastics for me are like the premier events. Like I kind of hate that they're always, you know, they the way the Olympics is typically split up is they are in the first week or whatever. And then track and field kind of picks up. There's typically the one weekend where they all overlap, which is awesome. Uh, but yeah, I mean, especially I think with swimming since like 2004, 2008, really, uh, Michael Phelps was was must see appointment television at these last few Olympics, so it's been interesting to to see how the interest in that has been without him, and I think that's been something interesting to navigate. Obviously, um, but the the point of this conversation, why we're bringing up the Olympics, other than it, they will be done the next time we record, is we were talking offline, and I thought of an interesting thought experiment, which is. If you could devote all the time, money, and resources you have over the next, I said four years on, on our magical Google Doc, but really it's three years in this case because Paris is still happening in 2024. Um, if you could devote everything you have to try to make an Olympic team, which sport or event do you think you could do that in? So my answer was really easy. because um, And we, we texted a few days ago and you mentioned like, you wanted to give enough time to it. My, I, it took 10 seconds. Mine is fencing. Oh, we don't have the same ones. Right. Well, as, as we noted on, uh, the podcast several weeks ago, I was in, you were in fencing club. I was in a fencing club in either fourth or fifth grade. I can't remember now. And I definitely, I was not good then. Um, so I would, I would really need all three years to, to get my form back, but also it's the perfect sport because I don't, I don't think I ever said, like tweeted this or or said this. So this may be news to any listeners out there and our readers. So I effectively don't have um, the vision in my left eye. So if you're fencing, and I'm I'm doing this like <laughs> to to demonstrate, even though it's a podcast, which is just awesome podcasting. So it's wonderful. Right? It's wonderful on an audio medium. Yeah, right. Perfect. But if you're right-handed and, and you're in, you know, whatever the stand, the on-guard stance, I, I've forgotten all, all the lingo, whatever, but you're basically just looking to your right. So it's it's the perfect sport for me because no one can come from behind me or to my left. It's the perfect sport, and I already have experience in it. And I was actually watching fencing. I almost, I almost texted you and a few other people, like, this could have been me. I totally me, forgot man. about your fencing club. Like, I totally forgot about it until now. But 
I, you know, I, my coolness. <laughs> I, I know I didn't think there, there would be a wrong answer, like anything in, in the sense that there would be anything for me to argue regardless of what you picked, but I am going to argue against this and make you rethink because my theory uh-huh. is that if, if you were a good enough fencer, we would already know you were good enough to be on an Olympic team. Like we would, we would already know that I think, cause you would have had a knack for it. And yeah. I don't know if you're good at any of the other events either. I mean, fair enough. Fair enough. Like, so, so my reasoning with my pick, um, listeners may or may not know this. I don't know why you would, uh, know, but I, I played basketball in college. I played at John Carroll, which is obviously division three school. So like, I didn't think it was feasible for me to say, oh, I could make like the three on three basketball team or the, or the women's national team. Cause obviously if I was good enough to do that, we would already know I peaked out in division three college basketball and that is fine. It was a great time. Um, same thing with volleyball. I played volleyball growing up. And obviously if I was good enough to make an Olympic volleyball team, I think we would know that. So the two answers I settled on, and there were two of them and I don't know which one I would feel more confident in. One was archery. Um, I think in theory, and I should say, my opinion is all these sports are hard. Like we should, I'm a big proponent of, we should have an average person doing all of these things to show just how hard they are in comparison to the Olympians doing them. Like have an average person run the hundred meter dash and see how it compares to the Olympians doing it who look so graceful and make it look easy. But archery for me, I think I, I grew up like going to summer camps and doing it and it was fun. I think it's one of those things that if you practice and train long enough, you obviously get better at it. I think I have a high enough ceiling yet to go that it is feasible for me to eventually get to the point where I'm competitive. The other is handball because I don't know how large the handball community is. Maybe I'm totally off here, but again, I feel like with handball, with archery, that there are enough, there's enough ceiling for me to go that it's feasible for me to think, well, if I devoted everything I have and like got in the best shape of my life, could I do this? Yes, maybe, potentially. We'll see. Like, I think I could be competitive to make a team. Um, and again, I say all that knowing <laughs> all these sports are ridiculously hard, but I'm just doing law, law of averages here, basically. How many, how large is the community of this sport? Um, given my prior athletic experience, what do I think I could excel at? That was my rationale for both of those. Yeah, I'm surprised neither of us took, what's the speed walking? Oh, yeah. Speed walking, I honestly, I honestly don't think I would be good at that. I honestly, I do not. Have you seen them walk? How fast they walk? How their hips move? It looks painful the way like their knees like hyperextend all the time. And their back, like, I would think it would be hard on your back and, and all that stuff. And I, I did injure my back in college playing basketball. So that's another thing. I, I, and honestly, between archery and handball, like handball is still, I think, a pretty high impact sport. Um, now there are sports too that I believe I could never ever do. Um, pretty much any track and field event, pretty much any swimming event, I, I would not be able to do. Obviously gymnastics. I'm 5'11. That would be insane. <laughs> and, one of the hardest sports that I think there is is water polo. If you sit down and watch water polo, yeah. those people are treading water the whole time, swimming, <laughs> exhausting, and they're essentially like pushing each other underwater, like to to get an advantage. I mean, it is a brutal, brutal sport. We watched part of a match. It was 
the U.S. women versus Canada, I think. And I, I liked it because you, it, it looks like you can basically drown your opponent, which, which seems like a good strategy. I think it's a foul, but if you drown... Yeah, people, I was going to say, there are fouls in water polo, to my very basic understanding of the sport. And sometimes you watch like this, this uh, you know, the equivalent of off-the-ball stuff in basketball, and it just is like... How how is there not a foul or card or whatever the terminology is here? Like, how can you possibly box out someone while treading water? Yeah, it, 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 that's that's just absurd. That's on the complete other end of fencing, in terms of like just physical endurance. At least right. there's skill, but just physical endurance. That's it's it's absurd. Um, the other sport that I've always thought I would be good at, but I've never tried, so was not confident enough to take anything involving like rowing or kayaking or anything. But given my height, like that is a, a big thing for rowing. Um, I think I would be pretty, pretty good at that. But considering I've never done it, I'm not super, super confident that like I would excel necessarily. So that's why they yeah, take three years. What'd you say? Well, you have three years. I know. I do. I do. I do have three years. I still am like, I don't know. It's something about it. I, I know how difficult it is, and I've talked to rowers, and I I know people do pick it up. Like it, it is a lot of the time a sport where think you have to think like high schools don't typically have crew teams like ever. I, some of them do probably. Um, I, I don't think it's necessarily like a a growing sport in the same way like you look at lacrosse in the state of Ohio the last like 10 years, how much it's grown. Uh, so I think it is a sport that people typically pick up in college, um, potentially. Let, let's add it to the third sport on my list. You only manage one, fencing. But again, I argued that. <laughs> Maybe I'll break out the old, the old mask and vest and make a bid for uh, for Paris. You heard it here first, folks. Ryan Lewis, in addition to covering the Cleveland Guardians, gonna make a make a bid for 2024 Paris to make the national fencing team. Yeah, this is gonna be a fencing and handmade style podcast pretty soon once the new season comes out. Well, that's the problem because I don't know anything about fencing, so you're uh, you're gonna have to take the carry the load on that one. I'll carry the. I don't really either. I, I remember being very not good at it, even as like a fifth grader where the, it really doesn't matter. I remember being like, I'm not that great at this. <laughs> I was very self-aware at that time. That's honestly, that's amazing. And like, I'm sure, you know, you went and you did something else and found something you were good at, like instead well, of staying with fencing. That's also deb- I, I, I moved on. Whether I found something I was that good at is also debatable. Oh no! Did you have like a school newspaper or something? Did you join that? Uh, I did work for like a really small the suburbanite newspaper. I worked for them through high school. Nice, nice. There yeah, you go. The fencing, the, the fencing dream died real fast. Yeah. Well, also moved from where the, I was in uh, in a fencing club in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, and we we moved shortly after I, I joined the club and. Just never, that's my, like, I tore up my knee or else I would have gone pro story. I didn't know you did this in Lincoln, Nebraska. This is just a whole other layer yeah. to who you are that I'm learning about on this podcast. 
This is yeah, as good as when I when I found out about Fencing Club in the first place, which I think I laughed for a solid <laughs> 30 to 60 seconds, somewhere in there. For a little while, I was a Cornhusker. Wow. Uh, what a fun time. You know, this podcast is for discussing Cleveland baseball, Handmaid's Tale, all things Marvel, and learning interesting facts about Ryan's childhood. <laughs> we should really... <laughs> think about doing a rebranding and every week we can have a segment called like, I don't know, Ryan's corner or something. And you just share something interesting out of the blue that has nothing to do with anything else, but like just share it. Let the listeners get to know you a little better. Every week I'll share an activity that as a child, I learned I was really bad at and had to give up. (laughs) Well, Ryan, you have some time to think about that until the next time we record. Um, and until the next time, as you all eagerly await another Ryan fun fact, you can find him on Twitter at ByRyanLewis and check out all of his writing under the, I said it last week, the brand new Cleveland Guardians tab in the sports section of BeaconJournal.com. You can find me on Twitter at AshleyBastock42, tweeting about all things local sports. We got our high school sports coming up here fairly soon. That's a couple weeks away until the high school football season so catch out all check out all of our preview content i should say on my twitter and over at beaconjournal.com and you can catch me tweeting about the olympics for the next few days as well and until next time everyone wish ryan well as he gets back into fencing